Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. Movers and Shakers exploded onto the scene as one of the first agencies that truly understood how to navigate TikTok and emerging social spaces for clients. But it didn't happen overnight. Married couple and business partners Evan Horowitz and Jeffrey Goldberg launched the agency seven years ago, no experience in the space. Horowitz had a marketing background in-house at Brands, while Goldberg was a Broadway actor. That unique blend of expertise worked, allowing each to leverage each other's knowledge to create an agency that helps brands tap quickly and deftly into culture. In this episode, Horowitz and Goldberg discuss the challenges of entrepreneurship, the roadblocks that brands face in navigating fast-moving social media spaces, and the new era of lo-fi creativity that's shaking up the creative agency world. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, Editor-in-Chief of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Hello, Evan, Jeffrey. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Doing great. Thank you for the invitation. We're excited to be here with you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Awesome. So Movers and Shakers is obviously on fire right now, doing all this really cool, interesting stuff on social media, sort of leading the way in that space. But I want to talk about first how how we got there. So talk about um, why you decided to launch the agency, when that was, and sort of like the origin story. Yeah, absolutely. So Movers and Shakers is about seven years old. We started in 2016. Um, It's actually kind of interesting collision of both Evan's and my backgrounds. So Evan and I are married in real life, (laughs) as we call it. Yes. Um, And uh, when we met, I was actually performing on Broadway. And uh, I had spent about a decade as a singer, dancer, and actor And I was shifting my career into directing and producing work, putting some of that work on social social media. Um, And a few of those pieces kind of blew up overnight a little bit. Uh, We're talking like mini viral, not like TikTok viral of today. But um, Evan saw that and he said, hey, people love the work you're putting out there in the world. It's entertaining. It's fun. It's joyful. Have you ever thought about doing that sort of thing, telling those types of stories uh, for brands? And I had no idea what that meant. I said, like, would they pay us like to dance around a Coke can? And he said, well, maybe, you know. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, that was the beginnings of the company about working with brands to tell their stories in really entertaining ways, uh, culturally connected. And Evan, you were in marketing, right? So you kind of like steered that that angle of it. I was. Yeah, I had spent my career in marketing. I spent the first 10 years of my career in-house at some big brands as a P&L owner. I was at Macy's and Samsung and some other places. Uh, and then I transitioned to be an entrepreneur when I turned 30. And so I was doing marketing consulting for small businesses and helping mom and pop businesses be better at recruiting clients. Awesome. And then so I guess, Jeffrey, for you coming from Broadway, like what made you feel like you wanted to pivot into more of a commercial kind of role? Like what made what made the brand and the agency world appealing to you? Well, it's funny because the first few years of running Movers and Shakers, we really didn't understand what the industry was. <laughs> we didn't really understand even what agencies mm. were and how they worked. But what was really exciting for us was to find new ways to tell these stories and, and to tell really entertaining stories and bring that kind of uh, entertainment point of view to a marketing landscape, which we admittedly know knew little about. But as it turns out, that was really refreshing. And a lot of the the clients that we were working with, they loved our fresh approach because we didn't come from um, an industry where we had been told to kind of do certain things for advertising or marketing. So 
it was really just an exciting adventure of saying, how can we how can we push boundaries that we didn't even knew existed? And how can we tell stories in really entertaining ways? And that was really exciting for me as someone from an entertainment background. Yeah, for sure. And um, you guys kind of sort of came at, at the at the right time where TikTok was starting to come onto the scene. Social media was growing and your first maybe not the first, but one of the biggest sort of breakout campaigns that Movers and Shakers did was the Eyes, Lips, Face campaign for Elf. Talk a little bit about that and how that kind of changed things for for Movers and Shakers. That was definitely a big inflection point in our growth curve. And one thing that I like to point out is we're not an overnight success. And so, yes, that was the campaign that really put us on the map. But that was after three to four years of just me and Jeffrey pounding the pavement, trying to get the word out about ourselves trying to get coffee with anyone who could get coffee with anyone who might become a client someday and basically putting our entire life savings into the business, almost giving up a bunch of time. So I I always like to point that out because if anybody's out there working on growing a business and they think, oh, well, look at these guys, they're so successful. It was so easy for them. Uh, No, it wasn't. And, uh, and that's, I think a really important part of our story was just those early years of trying to get, get, get the word out and make a name for ourselves. That campaign, the Elf Cosmetics Eyes Lips Face TikTok challenge that you mentioned, definitely was a big inflection point for us. Um, that was our first venture onto TikTok, um, but uh, but we already had a lot of experience using music to tell brand stories. Obviously, leveraging Jeffrey's Broadway background um, and uh, and making really entertaining social content. So the pieces kind of came together in a way, and we had a client in Elf that wanted to take big risks with us. Fast forward, we set the record, which we still hold for the most viral campaign that's ever happened on TikTok. Uh, five million user-generated videos, believe it or not, were created on that campaign, including wow. yeah, five million. That includes unsolicited celebrity videos like Ellen, Reese Witherspoon, Lizzo. You know, we made something so culturally relevant that celebrities joined in organically. The song that we wrote for Elf, the Eyes Up's Face anthem went crazy viral. It hit number four on Spotify's global viral chart. It was top 50 from Netherlands to Australia. And that certainly put movers and shakers on the map. It's really what the campaign that put TikTok on the map in a new way with marketers is a really interesting and breakthrough platform. And that created an accelerated growth curve that we very much leaned into. We started educating the industry about TikTok. Uh, we were giving TikTok one-on-one webinars every month for several years and that expanded a lot. Now we give webinars every week on different emerging social platforms, new technologies, new social techniques. But we, we really positioned ourselves as thought leaders to help brands understand the frontiers of culture, the frontiers of social and how to use those for really innovative marketing. Yeah. I, I want to talk about TikTok and the virality that, that you can achieve there that's kind of unmatched. But I, at first, I want I want you to talk a little bit about those challenging first years, because I think you're right. Like, it is valuable to sort of understand that, you know, these businesses don't spring up overnight. There are a lot of like blood, sweat and tears poured into them. So talk about those early. Yes. <laughs> so talk about those early years and what they were like for for both of you. It's hard. You know, I think when you start a business, you have a vision. It's a little bit fuzzy because you're not really sure what it's going to be. And and you have an idea of what you think it could be. And you have a lot of hope. (laughs) And then it is a lot of, to use your words, blood, sweat, and tears, uh, just trying to make it happen. We, We also started as outsiders to the ad business. Neither of us had ever worked for or with an ad agency in our lives. Um, and so unlike some agencies that start and, you know, they already have 
uh, very successful founders who have a lot of client relationships. We really started from from the ground, uh, and that was challenging. But I also think, you know, in hindsight, it's become one of our unfair competitive advantages because we've just really been setting out to understand what brands are trying to do with a fresh lens, with no baggage about how things are supposed to be done. And that's really been a, a big advantage for us because we've invented an agency here organically. Not that we set out to disrupt the ad industry or anything like that. We just set out to do some cool work, hopefully build a business around that, build a great team of people that we enjoyed working with. And the result, because of our ignorance about the way things are done, is a really unique way of doing business where uh, we've built an agency that makes sense for today, you know, in this era of lo-fi, authenticity, social first. And what we've come to learn is we've now learned a lot more about the ad business and, and how the agency ecosystem works is that's pretty unusual. And I think that's what's led to the mm -hmm. really differentiated results that our clients experience and the really rapid growth that our agency has experienced. Yeah. Jeffrey, what about you? What were those first years like for you? First few years were very challenging. Um, I think one of the one of the great things about the first few years, though, was that you know both Evan and I were very entrepreneurial, and we um, had cut our teeth. I had cut my teeth in the Broadway world of getting rejected hundreds of times from auditions. And Evan had, when I met him, he had just started his his first company as a as a consultant for small businesses. So we were very used to uh, pounding the pavement. And we were very used to getting no's. And we had a good understanding that you have to get enough no's to get to some great yeses. Um, so we certainly held that belief in the first few years. It doesn't make it easier to get the no's, uh, but you just know that they're on the way to the yeses. Um, mm -hmm. But one of the exciting things about those first few years was we had a, a, a great belief in what we were doing was really exciting and people would want that. And because we didn't have former industry knowledge, we were kind of able to shield ourselves from expectations of what you should do. And instead, we were able to really just lean into what we thought was going to be great. And as it turns out, people did love that. And they did love that point of view. And I do think that had we had we kind of known more, so to speak, about the industry, we may not have built the company that we did uh, because we may be would have went down a path that it became a little bit more expected. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I think a lot of um, bigger, more established, like older creative agencies, they have so much legacy and baggage, right? About this is the way you do advertising. And I think sometimes not having that, those shackles can be really freeing. Um, I want to talk about how you set up the agency differently. But first, I want to ask, what made you guys decide to go into business together? Because I have my my parents are both uh, pediatricians and people ask them all the time, oh, do you practice together? And they always say some, you know, joke like, no, I get enough of them at home, you know. So <laughs> tell me about the decision to be partners in life and in business. Well, uh, we always say we don't recommend it for everyone. <laughs> it's certainly a, a challenging road to navigate <laughs> with with a partner. Um, we're we're partners uh, at, at our at our company. We're 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 married and we also are raising two young girls at home. So we're kind of doing all the things uh, together. Um, the way we kind of look at it is running a business is kind of like a jungle gym for your life. And frankly, that can be applied to anything that you do. I always think about when people first start dating, 
I always say, go on a trip together. Because if you uh, if you have to navigate planning a trip, like even a weekend away, you're going to see just a glimpse of what it could be like to be together for longer term, right? And if you can't make it through like a weekend travel and who plans the itinerary and deciding about where to go to dinner, then, uh, you know, it, it's a sign. And I think running a business is kind of like that times a thousand, right? So you're, you're, you're forced to kind of, your decision making all the time, your, your life is very intertwined with that. Um, I think what worked for us is that we have a deep respect for each other and what each other brings. We come from very different backgrounds. And so um, I was constantly learning from Evan about marketing and about the difference between a company and a brand in the first few years and just really how to navigate conversations with um, clients. Um, I think he was learning a lot from me about storytelling and entertainment. And we had a deep sense of what each other brought to the table, which really helped us work well together. What would you add, Evan? It's definitely not for the faint of heart. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That's all he has. <laughs> well, I'll say, I, mean, I think okay. we're, we're lucky, you know, in, in hindsight, it's worked out well. But certainly when we first discussed it, I was a little nervous about the proposition, right? Because you, you don't want to destroy your relationship over a company. And, and, you know, again, just to be candid and transparent about the challenges of the early years, especially, there were certainly many moments where it kind of felt like, okay, what's going to give our marriage or this business? And it was sort of like, you have to choose because it was so stressful. I mean, it still is, but especially in those early years when we were still really learning how to work with each other so intimately, uh, there were certainly times when we were at each other's throats, you know, I I don't want to, I don't want to mislead people about that. That's the reality (laughs) of it, right? And so um, we're fortunate, I think, on the other side of it now that we've really, we've built a life that we love, that we get to work together extremely closely. I mean, we're basically together 24 seven, whether it's, you know, celebrating Jeffrey's birthday, which we did this weekend, or staying up late working on a client presentation. Uh, the level of intimacy and intensity is is really unparalleled. And it works for us. We love it, you know, but as Jeffrey started, I definitely wouldn't recommend it for everybody. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could take it, but <laughs> yeah. just kidding. Um, so <laughs> Just in case anyone's listening, no. Um, so um, talk about um, how you design the agency. You mentioned that it sort of functions differently than other agencies. Like what are like the core departments that you have? How do they work together? What's your process for working with clients? Um, and how is that different from the traditional? Yeah, well, let me speak first to just the effect of all of that, because a lot of clients have trouble understanding which box to put us in, so to speak, Right because we don't fit the boxes that normal agencies are. We're a really interesting hybrid of a traditional creative agency with really deep strategy and creative chops, but built for a socially native world, right? Then you combine that creative agency with an influencer agency. We have a mini influencer agency in-house and influencers and talent is a huge part of a lot of our creative and storytelling. And so we're very deeply rooted in that world. But then you cross that again with a production company but not a traditional production company, production that's really built for lo-fi, authentic creativity, right? Video first. And um, as a result of that, we're sort of this hybrid of those three things, the creative agency, the influencer agency, and the production house, uh, all rolled into one, but reimagined for a socially native world that's really focused on creating cultural relevance for brands. 
And so to answer your question about, you know, how are we structured internally? One of the things that's really unique about our agency is that we're built around our culture squad, which is a concept we invented of people who follow culture. Now, most agencies, when they talk about connecting into, let's say, youth culture, they're looking at a report that's like Gen Z in 2024, you know, and, and their idea of cultural time horizons is like, what's happening with Gen Z this year? When our team is looking at that, they're looking at, you know, the African-American female community with curly hair and what they're obsessed with, which hair products and ingredients they're obsessed with this week on TikTok and on Reddit. And that's going to change between this week and next Mm -hmm. week, right? And that's what we mean when our culture squad is looking at the beats of culture every day. What are people talking about? Which TikTok sounds and filters are going viral? Which celebrities are having gossip and drama that creates an opportunity for brands to comment? Which new albums are dropping, et cetera, et cetera. And so our whole agency is built around the culture squad. And around that, we have what you might see as relatively conventional uh, cross-functional teams with strategic thinkers, creatives, producers, but um, all oriented around this uh, ability to move at the speed of culture and help our clients plug into those day-to-day, week-to-week opportunities. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of agencies struggle with is moving at the speed of culture. Like the traditional creative process is very slow, bureaucratic, built around a brand campaign that you'll put out once a year, right? And now it's like you do have to be on these on these platforms every day, seeing what people are talking about. How do you work with your clients in that sense? Because I think they're also, depending how big they are, like they're trained to move a little slower as well and need a lot of approvals. And so how do you kind of break through and tell them like this isn't going to work unless we get on this right now? We're pretty upfront when we first start working with clients um, who come to us to connect a culture that one of the first things we'll need to do together is look at all the ways that that things are going to get in our way to move quickly. Because as we talked about, culture does move really quickly and agility is really important, whether you are building out a a larger brand campaign moment or you're making a single video that's going to be posted on TikTok or YouTube shorts or something. Um, Timeliness is really important. And so we have a lot of things that we look at with our clients to kind of get pre-alignment, clear out the red tape, kind of remove roadblocks that will allow us to move quickly that's one piece of it. I think the other piece is the way we work with clients. We like to think of it really as a thought partner with them. Um, and what I mean by that is that we build trust really deeply, really quickly with them. And that allows us to push them when they want to be pushed, right? Many clients come to us and they say, hey, we know that we're going to get in our own way. So permission granted movers and shakers to please push us. And that's an amazing conversation to have because that means that we can show up differently with them. We can say, hey, I know you want this. Here's Let's navigate this together. And so I think it's a different working relationship. And it's also a matter of kind of tactical and practical. How can we talk with their legal department before we need their permission uh, to get Mm -hmm, mm pre-alignment? We're big educators. You know, I think we see that as our responsibility working on the frontiers and the cutting edges we do. We, I mentioned earlier, we're always educating the industry for free. We do webinars every week, uh, but that's really a big part of how we get our clients uh, to, to move and keep up with us. Often what happens is the, the team of people that hires us directly, they get it and they're hungry to create change within their organization, but then they have the challenge of uh, convincing their upper management, their C-suite, 
their legal department, you know, and so we'll actually go and we'll do trainings for their legal team and we'll explain to them how social works and, you know, how trends work. And, and now we'll help us and help our, help our direct clients just grease the skids internally so that the organization creates a new level of awareness of what's possible and why it's meaningful. And we've been really delightfully surprised with how some even big fortune 500 organizations can, you know, learn new habits. Uh, it's, it's really impressive and inspiring. So I, I think if you're a brand manager out there who feels discouraged and like it's not possible, I think incremental change is possible. And we've seen that time and again, it's not going to happen overnight, but with the right education and inspiration, uh, we've been really impressed by what our clients are able to achieve. Yeah. I mean, you guys are such like thought leaders in this space and educators. I'm curious, like what you think are the biggest barriers that brands have in understanding how to navigate platforms, how to work with creators, how to stay on top of culture. What are some of the biggest roadblocks? I think one of the biggest things that brands struggle with is surrendering creative control to be socially native, to be natural fit with influencers they want to work with. Uh, one of the things that we advise for our brands and actually help them with consistently is writing additional chapters of their brand book that contemplate how is this brand going to show up in a socially native lo-fi world. If you ask any brand for their brand book, they have beautiful thought out guidelines about their logo and their color palette and their, their photo photographic aesthetic that really are great for a television commercial or uh, an Instagram feed, you know, OG Instagram. But typically the people who wrote the brand book never thought about, and this even happens today and we get a lot of brand books hot off the presses and they just really, the people who do that often don't understand how do you flex a brand to really hit on TikTok, to really resonate with a Gen Z audience or a millennial audience. Uh, it's just often not considered. And so one of the first steps is to help the brand decide and make those strategic decisions. How does our brand want to change so that when we show up in a place like TikTok or YouTube shorts or Instagram reels, that it feels natural and native and authentic, you know? And that's where a lot of brands struggle is they either just haven't done that work yet and they could, or there's a lot of institutional resistance to changing the identity so that the brand can show up authentically. And those brands are perpetually just awkward on social, which is kind of tragic for them. One trend I've noticed recently is that I think that brands are starting to like connect their brand identities and platforms to what they're doing on social, or they're realizing that they have to, right? Like this is an extension of their brand. It's not just some like Instagram post that went up by some like random small agency that is working for them. So as brands sort of connect these things better, what new like opportunities does that open for you as an agency? We're seeing consumer behavior pivot really quickly. You know, I saw a study the other day that 40% of Gen Z, their first search engine is a TikTok search engine, not Google anymore. Right. So that's really mm -hmm. a big shift for brands that have been spent years optimizing their Google keywords and things like that, still important. But now they're realizing that people are finding information in new and different places and they're starting with the social search bar. And so that creates more opportunity for movers and shakers because they're coming to us and they're saying, wow, it's really important how we show up on social. Our organic presence is really important because consumers are just going straight to our TikTok or our reels. And that, that's how they're learning about our brand. Our influencer content is really important, both paid and authentically organic, right? Because that's how people are learning about our product. And we need to just continually be creating chatter on social about our brand because 
that's where people are looking when, when they're, when they're wondering where to go out for eat, they're not going to Yelp anymore. Now they're going to TikTok. And so we need to have authentic user reviews on TikTok, right? So it's just a whole new world that brands are discovering that they need to figure out. And we're really trying to help lead them and guide them uh, into this new world. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more campaign chemistry. Another thing that's happened recently, and I'm curious your perspective on this, is just like I think brands are getting a little bit more cautious on social, just giving, given what happened this summer with Bud Light and Dylan Mulvaney and all of the like hot button issues that are cropping up online. Uh, you know, last week we saw that with the Israel and, and Hamas war breaking out. Like, how are you helping clients sort of navigate? Like, are, are you noticing that they're wanting to pull back from social in any sense? And how are you sort of guiding them to stay the course for the sake of their brand? I think when it comes to helping brands connect to culture, a big part of what we do and how we support brands is helping them understand what are the conversations that are opportunities for them to be a part of um, and what are opportunities for them to maybe step back. And hey, that we haven't necessarily earned the right to participate in that conversation yet. Or maybe just to be aware that this is this is a conversation that there could be a, a higher risk to participate in. Um, and that's important because I think many brands do feel the pressure to constantly be part of the conversation. And that can sometimes get certain brands in hot water if they're not doing that in the in the best way. And so we work with brands on doing everything from um, creating playbooks about how to connect with certain communities um, all the way through offering points of view on world issues um, on how to how to participate or if to participate uh, at all. But at the core of it, I do think that a big thing that we help brands do is support them in listening to their community when especially working on new platforms, I think one area where many brands, go wrong is they have an idea for a story they want to tell, but they're not starting by listening to what their community is talking about. And so we really believe that if you listen first, the the community is telling you the stories that they want to hear. They're telling you what's important to them. Um, And if you enter that conversation, you become part of the conversation rather than this brand coming in with a message to place on top of the conversation. Mm -hmm. I would add too, just to your question, Allison, we do see a real bifurcation of brands who are either leaning in or leaning out. And it's a scary time. So I I understand and respect the decisions of the brands that are being more cautious uh, because it is challenging. I think a lot of the C-suite that we work with they do have the self-awareness that they don't understand where the landmines are, you know, and so they're mm-hmm. really pulling back the reins. But we always encourage our clients to lean in and there are opportunities for brands to really engage in a meaningful way in some of these challenging cultural conversations or to engage on social around the challenging conversations without stepping on the landmines. You just need the right guidance. And so I think uh, our our message to brand leaders is you really can and should lean in because as we were just talking about a few minutes ago, social is where the conversation is happening. That's where consumers are discovering about your products. Uh, but you just need guidance from people who can help you navigate that. And you need to trust, you need to trust the people who are more in it than you. And that's scary. You know, I can appreciate that as Jeffrey and I, as leaders of our company, sometimes we see creative work go out there that we're like, what the heck is that? It just doesn't make any sense to us. It makes us feel uncomfortable. But we mm-hmm. trust because we know that the people that we've 
uh, put in those roles really get it. We know that we've put appropriate checks and balances to vet work so that it's socially sensitive and inevitably it performs. And we, we make some bizarre six second TikToks that don't make any sense to me that get millions of views organically, you know, and, and that's where, you know, I guess my message to the CMOs out there who are listening is, is find the people who get it, empower them to do great work for you. And you can do incredible work as a brand, even in these challenging times. Yeah. Another thing that I wanted to to follow up on is you you keep bringing up this term um, lo-fi creative, which I think is a really interesting trend that's happening. That's sort of throwing creative agencies off a little bit, right? Because it's not and brands because they're used to having a really polished piece of work that they can get, you know, ton, 10, 20 rounds of approvals on. What is this lo-fi like shift mean for brands and for creative agencies? And how is that going to kind of change the way that the industry approaches creativity? I think the emergence of platforms, especially that prioritize short form video has really challenged a lot of agencies and brands in terms of how to create content that looks and feels relevant for that space. Um, It's amazing that people are making video content every single day and that there's tools built into the platforms to make stuff really fun and and humorous, um, but it has also just challenged brands' belief of what it means to create advertising. And right now you've got a 16-year-old with an iPhone who can create a more viral and more trending and more conversation-starting piece of content than a a creative who's worked two decades in the industry, right? And and a $100,000 shoot. And that's turned everyone's head to say, whoa, what are they doing that we can adopt? And so I think there's a huge opportunity for, from a, an execution approach to really look at creator culture, because they're the ones who are defining what this kind of aesthetic is on the spaces that brands are entering into. Um, look at creator culture. What are the tools that they're using? How are they making content? Um, how precious are they? Um, and use a lot of that as a guide for how brands can create content. Um, I think on the other end, by nature of this, it is to what Evan was speaking about earlier, it's pushing on the boundaries of a brand book, of brand guidelines, and it's inviting brands to define something that they've never had to define before. Um, you know, we oftentimes work with brands to, to uh, think through how does how does your brand sound literally if it is the social manager showing up on social, right? Even if it's not the actual social manager who's writing content, like what's that tone of voice? How should they comment? How should they how should they tweet or you know make thread posts? Um, and these are things that aren't defined yet, and there is a lot of discovery that needs to happen. And I think that's going to continue to happen as the spaces evolve, right? As TikTok and shorts and new platforms evolve, it's going to continue to create opportunities for brands to say, oh, how how can we flex here? What does the fringe of our brand book look like if we translate it into this new space? And I want to add that that's mm-hmm. difficult. You know, I want to acknowledge there's so much momentum in the industry to create a certain type of creativity, a certain type of storytelling we struggle with that ourselves. You know, when we hire the the best people that we can, we're the fastest growing agency two years in a row. So we're always hiring new, amazing people. 
uh, and we find the best people we can possibly find and bring in, but we then have to untrain a lot of habits and retrain with yeah. the new ways that we're inventing to think about creativity for this lo-fi era because it's different. And we catch ourselves all the time and our teams catch each other and they say, oh, I think we're drifting a bit too hi-fi or we're going a bit too traditional. Oh, oh, I think we're starting to overscript the influencers. We really need to give them the mic, right? We catch ourselves all the mm-hmm. time in that. We're catching our clients all the time. You know, the clients, the best clients that come and they're like, I get it. We're going to give creative control to the influencers. And then they see round one and round two and they're like, oh, oh. And we're like, hold on, hold on, right? So it's just constantly coaching ourselves through that. That's a really important part of the process. But I do, I just, I want to acknowledge that, you know, it's a challenge, right? Because we are really changing a lot of entrenched, quote unquote, best practices and turning them on their head. And that's hard. Well, it also puts a lot of pressure on their business model, um, as well. So I don't know, how do you guys sort of like, do you engage on a project basis? How do you avoid some of those structural business model? Uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Yeah. Yeah. Limitations, limitations. (laughs) It's a challenge, you know, and sometimes clients hire us and they say, yes, push us. We're ready to stretch and evolve. And then we show them the ideas and they're like, Ooh, not that much. Just kidding. You know? So uh, but we, we, we're lucky that we have a lot of clients reaching out to us every week. We're very selective about who we partner with. And we're really looking for those brand leaders who want to make a significant evolution to their brand equity over the next couple of years, right? And recognize that it's going to take mm-hmm. time, consistency to do that. We're looking for those brands either that are already really culturally relevant and want to just stay on that cutting edge of Gen Z and millennial culture, or on the other side of the spectrum, brands that maybe our traditional market leaders that are getting their lunch eaten by upstart indie competitors. And they're looking for how do we really start to be socially relevant for the first time with that younger audience. Um, but people who have the stomach really to, to, to make that pivot and the investment in their brand. And we engage with people on a project basis, uh, but we're really looking for those long-term relationships ultimately where we can have deep mm-hmm. partnerships. And so we're increasingly uh, pivoting our business model to be more focused on long-term AOR type relationships where, uh, you know, we're, we're working uh, consistently with the C-suite of a company and their senior management to help guide them. And they're really, you know, we're fortunate that those leaders are looking to us for their expertise about how do we invest our dollars to really build a brand in this new era, because it is a new era. It's different. Yeah. And I think they're recognizing the need for that consistent attention on it versus sort of like a fragmented approach. I want to end on a question about the future. So obviously there's a lot of um, flux in the social media landscape right now with X and what's happening over there. What are some like new platforms you have your eye on? Where do you see potential? TikTok is still huge, but where are you really looking for that next frontier on social? We oftentimes look at social spaces as a reflection of the community. And I think if you think about the emergence of short form, that was certainly a reflection of a community who wanted to show up in a more, call it authentic way, right? It's not about the Instagram filter age anymore for this younger generation. It's about showing up and actually showing you what I what I really look like. I'm going to make videos from my living room or bedroom at home. It's going to be messy, but that's okay. And I think that's that's really interesting to think about what the future holds. Um, I do think there is going to be increasingly opportunity for smaller community-based um, social apps, I think. I think one of the interesting things about even the social apps that are the biggest apps today is they're very much driven by community and by conversation. And I think that will only 
increase in the future, but thinking about how do we create spaces that are more catered to specific communities who want to express in specific ways, um, right? Some people want to, they love Be Real because they want to be able to show up in that exact moment with their friends. Um, I think there's other spaces where they might want to, um, maybe it's about networking for content creators or something like that. And then I think the other piece I would say, if I'm looking towards the future, I think we're, we're seeing this massive collision of content and marketing and entertainment. And I think the last few years, we've seen the rise of short form video really turn on its head, the whole entertainment model. And so I think mm-hmm. we're going to see social spaces that play with that more, that hand the mic more to the creator community to be the new Hollywood of the future. And we're going to see people engaging with them in a different way. I'll add just to give you a few of my platform hot takes. We're really excited about YouTube shorts right now. Uh, it's Google is investing a lot in making it a thing. And so that means that people, including brands who are playing on it, are getting a lot of free exposure, which is awesome. So we're encouraging all of our clients to lean into shorts. I'm personally very bullish on threads. I think it's going to be a thing in a big way. Got to be patient with it, right? But we're encouraging our clients and we're, we're doing a lot of work there uh, because I think Twitter slash X is clearly shooting itself in the foot. And there is a real desire for that type of platform. And so we're bullish on threads. Um, and then of course, reels, it continues to gain momentum. So, you know, in the short form space, uh, to Jeffrey's point, there's this TikTok, reels, shorts, trifecta. We're really encouraging brands to lean into that. Uh, it's simplest thing is to repost your content, same content, or most of it across those three for brands that can afford to be a little bit more bespoke. We're also helping them develop bespoke strategies so that your YouTube short strategy is a little bit different from your TikTok. Um, but those are all big opportunities for brands right now to be on more on the ground floor of these platforms as they explode. Yeah, no, I'm interested in your your bullish take on threads. Uh, why do you think that's going to be the next the next place instead of some uh, sort of a, a different competitor just because Meta's so big and has the potential to, to take it? They're so big, they're committed, they're investing in a, it's, it's leapfrogging off the momentum of Instagram and everybody's established followers and things there. So I think the way that they've rolled it out is smart. I think the chatter about how mm. it declined on day two is overblown and, and taken out of proportion. Of course, lots of people are interested on day one of trying something. And then it sort of normalized to the basic level of people who are, want to be early adopters, which is always a much smaller community. So I think I think given time, Meta is going to continue to invest in it. Twitter is going to continue to decline. And uh, we're going to see a lot of opportunity for threads to start to take off. Interesting. Well, I will, I will certainly be watching to see what the next big platform is. You'll be threading or tweeting or something. Exactly. I, I do feel like I need an outlet for my, what used to be tweets. So maybe yeah. I'll get onto threads more. That's why I'm bullish <laughs> on threads. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you both so much for joining me. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Allison. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening to Campaign Chemistry. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and head to campaignlive.com for all the latest news on advertising and marketing. 